Hello everyone and welcome to the Journeys podcast. My name is Jodeci. And I'm Frank. And we started this podcast to basically open up a forum to hear amazing stories of people that came back to the heritage in interesting ways. Um, when you're sitting at a Shabbos meal or you hear a story of someone, sometimes you're really not interested or you're not able to hear the, hear the full story. So we started this to be able to be able to hear in depth what we're actually coming from and where we came and how we came back to our roots. And we just really just want to hear your stories. We want to hear people, what they went through, how they came closer to Judaism. Sometimes we think that only the big people, the rabbis and all of these amazing stars have stories. But really, everyone has a story. And that's what we're here to share with you. Please enjoy and stick with us. Every episode is going to have someone different, someone with a cool, cool story. This is our journey, baby. Let's make it happen. Hello everyone and welcome back to episode two of the Jewish Journeys podcast. Last week's episode was so good. I was interviewed um, by my host, my fellow host, Frankie. It was an unbelievable podcast and we're so glad to be back for episode two, where I'm going to be interviewing the man himself, Frankie. Um, So basically, just want to start off by just reiterating what we're really trying to do on this podcast. What we're trying to do is we want to show people's Jewish journeys, as it is in the podcast. But not that they have to be a spectacular star or be this unbelievable person. Everyone's unbelievable, but not be this famous person for us to hear this story. Every Jewish person or every, most people have stories. And sometimes we're at a Shabbos table, we don't really hear their stories. We don't really know what's going on behind that person's Judaism. So what we're trying to do is we're interviewing different people every week. People that people that are in yeshivas, sems, or anyone who's had some sort of journey back into Judaism or in Judaism already or just have a great story that they want to share with us. And this should inspire the Jewish nation to, to feel more connected to their Judaism or just want to listen to a cool story and want to take away something. So today I'm so glad to be introducing the one and only Frankie. Um, he's a very, very dear friend of mine. Uh, we started this podcast together. And he's been on an amazing, amazing Jewish journey. And we're going to learn so much from him. So hello, Frankie. Welcome. How are we doing, Josie? Before we get started, I just want to say, like, one of the things that I struggle with personally is that when I came back to Judaism, I was, you know, I thought I was doing well in my, my secular life. I was ascending the ladder in money and career and life. And I came to Judaism starting from scratch. I was like, who am I? Who am I going to be? You know, much of our Western mindset is I need to be the top. I was always wanting to be a CEO or professional hockey player be the top guy and in Judaism I felt that you know who am I going to be I can I don't even learn the olive base so how am I going to become some guy I think that's one of the goals that we have for this uh this podcast is to realize that we're all extremely unique Hashem has a has a relationship individually with every one of us Mm -hmm. you know there's no one else of course we have to look up to call Yisrael and have Rebbeim and Guttles and that's amazing but at the same time we have our own story we're exactly who we are there's one of us and Hashem has an individual relationship with all of us which I think is especially what we're trying to produce here, that we don't need to be someone that's well-known or universally known, that we need to find our own path, our own Derek, and in our Judaism, in our life. And that's kind of what we're trying to do here. I think that's so, so beautiful, and I really, really relate to what you're saying because, you know, I feel that when you go into Judaism, when you come to it, you feel like, I have to be... You take that Western mentality of, like, I need to be big there, I need to be big in Judaism. Obviously, we should have goals, but it's also good to know that everyone's unique and you just need to be yourself. And that's what I guess we're going to be at the podcast is hear how people have just been themselves and how they've connected to their Judaism. So beautiful. So let's let's get going. So Frankie, tell us, um, 
Just tell us a bit about you. I know I know a lot about you, but the audience listening don't really know. They should know who you are, <laughs> but they don't know who you are. So can you just tell us a bit about your background, you know, where you grew up, kind of just a bit about you to, so, the, so the audience know who you are? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm 24 now. Like you, I'm also studying now full-time in Yeshiva in Yerushalayim. That's definitely not the way I started and the way I grew up. Um, I grew up in Los Angeles, completely secular. The only time I uh, went to shul was occasionally on Rosh Hashanah. I think I missed most years growing up, but um, I went a couple times. And most of the time I would stand in the uh, child section, which we uh, got to play on like little cars at the back. I didn't really understand what was going on. Sometimes my, my mom or grandma or my dad would pull me in and say, uh, you know, we got to hear the, the shofar. Like, what's the shofar? Like, we blow this ram's horn. They're like, why, why do we do that? I have no idea, but you got to come in and hear it. So that was my Judaism growing up uh, until I had my bar mitzvah. My bar mitzvah was on a uh, tape recording. I didn't learn Hebrew. Uh, it was basically check the boxes. I think I got bar mitzvah. I like, to, I like to call it the L.A. Jewish church. It's pretty much any church. <laughs> I, had, uh, I had 50 choir women singing behind me. Like, hallelujah. Oh, wow. So I think I had pretty much the worst uh, Jewish educational background ever. Did you um, not feel... Sorry to interrupt. Like, sorry to, to, to... I'm just so intrigued. Did you not ever feel... I know, I'm, I know you've heard my story and I didn't know I was Jewish, but did you never feel like this doesn't seem right? Not this doesn't seem right, but this doesn't connect, connect with what I view Judaism to be. Or you just kind of went along and it just kind of felt... I honestly really had no connection to Judaism, no idea what it meant. Um, I think early on, one of the reasons why I'm able to do what I am now and why I'm here is because I always had a strong belief in God, mm. but not necessarily in a Jewish framework, because I think that the Judaism that I grew up with, and maybe some people can relate to this in America, is a godless Judaism. Uh, mm. I think all we have as Jews is God and Torah. The only reason why Hashem gave us the Torah is to come back to Him mm. and to connect to Him, and fortunately, in a lot of uh, reform circles, conservative circles, nothing against them in a certain, I, I really think they're misinformed in what they're doing and they're great people in their heart but a lot of the things that I was raised with is just that there's no God in Judaism and that basically makes Judaism obsolete and irrelevant and uh, basically my only connection to Judaism is my last name was Horowitz which is a Jewish last name it's pretty Jewish pretty Jewish yeah <laughs> and uh, I love Seinfeld and like other Jewish <laughs> things so that was pretty much all I knew about being a Yid and like did you ever think Growing, I mean, we're going to get to how, like how you got to like where you were today. I think that's coming later. But did you ever feel that, you know, you didn't? I guess you didn't keep the Shabbat. And when you were doing all these things just on your bar mitzvah, and I'm guessing maybe some of the hagim, were you not thinking, you know, at the festivals? Did you not think, you know, why am I not going to shul every day? Why am I not eating kosher? Like, did you ever ask your parents those things, or did you ever think? I don't know. Like, did you ever think? Honestly, you're just so removed. Um... That, that wasn't even a question. I, Looking back, I had no idea about any of that stuff. I was raised Judaism. I just had no background. I think that that's one of the main problems. I have a lot of friends. I just got back from L.A. They grew up similar to me, and they just simply don't know. There's just zero knowledge education, and you don't search it out. And, you know, Western life, especially in Los Angeles, life's very comfortable, very easy. And if you're not uh, necessarily deeply depressed or something's wrong, there's not any reason to search. And my parents and the circles around me weren't searching and they weren't asking questions yeah. about Judaism so it was just let's accept this thing you know we know that we're Jewish because I guess our parents were Jewish and their parents are Jewish so now we go to this uh, place once a year and hear a ram's horn and uh, hear a guy in like a white suit give a, a speech about something we don't really care about and then we hit ourselves a lot on a bad day so this is a weird question but like what percentage of your identity at the time when you were young 
would you say was made up of Judaism? Like when someone, if taking yourself back to them, if someone said to you, how much of your life percentage wise was affected by Judaism at that time, what would you have said? Point one, maybe. I mean, wow. I, at that time, what, what what age are we talking about? So? Like, like when you like probably like permits for fifteen, like maybe teenage years. Zero, I mean, the only time I really thought about being Jewish is the fact that I went to the deli, which was a non-kosher deli, and I thought that was like Jewish food. And my last name was Horowitz. I played hockey, you know, very competitive hockey, which hopefully I'll get to share a little bit of the background. But yeah. I knew that I was Jewish because my teammates told me I was Jewish, and there were some parents that seemed to be somewhat anti-Semitic when I was growing up. Anti-Semitic? What do you mean? I like, I mean, of, like how you experienced it? Yeah, yeah a ton growing up. In what way? Like, I didn't make a team when I was twelve because someone said we don't want to take the dirty Jew. Wow. I tried out for the U.S. Western team, and I don't know. This is a story my dad told me, so maybe it was true. But he said that you know, if we have to pick between the Jew and someone else, I think we're gonna take the other guy. And wow. then that was only when I got to be thirteen. I went to an all-boys Catholic uh, prep school, boys hockey school for high school. I left Los Angeles. And um, my first game, I finally made the varsity team during my junior year. Waited this is hockey, time. right? This yeah, is hockey. Just waited, to... a, waited a long time to play ice hockey. And I made a team after a big game. I was so excited. I finally made a team. My mom uh, moved from L.A. to Connecticut to, to help me, support me, and came to the game. And on her car, after my first game, we found a swastika on the car. So throughout my... And they knew you were Jewish because of your name. Yeah, I barely knew I was Jewish. I mean, I went to shul, like I said, if I was lucky, Rosh Hashanah. After that, and, wow! Uh, so people constantly remind you that you were a Jew. For sure, I'm thankful for those people. I think anti-Semitism wow. serves a great purpose, and that it reminds the Jews when they forget that they're Jews. You know, I hate to say it, but like in the Holocaust too, unfortunately, Jews that had zero background as well were reminded by people that didn't even want to be Jews. They were reminded by the, the Nazis, raised their name that they were Jewish, even if they forgot about it. So I think that's an interesting way of looking at your anti-Semitism towards you, because. Obviously, a lot of people in England and etc. Like, are scared to walk to be where they could and things like that because they're scared to be Jew. But they're scared to, of what the reaction would be for being Jewish, outwardly Jewish. And it seemed to be that you looking at your experiences of anti-Semitism as actually this was a positive because it reminded it made it made it raised that consciousness at least from a young age that I was Jewish because before maybe, maybe even you would have been even less conscious of it. For sure. There's another experience when I was in Bali. I was 18. I was traveling with some friends. And uh, I was at a bar. And, uh, you know, completely religious. If anything, I was trying to look as un-Jewish as possible, which I think I did a decent job of growing up. And I walked into a, a bar, and a guy said, why are you, what's a Jew doing here? Why are you a Jew? And How do you know you're Jewish? No idea. Let's look Jewish. You have a Jew for it? I mean, you... No idea. Maybe you could smell it on me. Like I said. I'm black. I'm saying I don't get it. I've never had that in my life. <laughs> maybe, maybe, the curl, maybe the curly hair I don't know <laughs> um, so yeah so in terms of I was thinking you know you, you come from California and I think a lot of people know that California's got money there's money there you know, it's a very materialistic place for sure I mean how did that it's all about the money baby yeah like how did, I'm just wondering like, how did living in the really I don't know, did you live in a wealthy home? Like, were you from yeah, I, grew up, I grew up in Beverly Hills. Um, I personally didn't grow up in the wealthiest home, yeah. but I definitely had a great upbringing. I was very lucky and very blessed, but I was surrounded by some of the wealthiest people in the world. You had friends that were super wealthy, like Jewish sure. friends. And... Sure, looking back, it's one of the reasons I think I made Teshuvah. I mean, seeing that growing up early on was a big blessing as well, being able to see that side and how so you, a lot were people of it just so in, like Were people just so into the money that, like, 
they didn't have time for God or Judaism or was it just how would you describe this I don't, I don't want to generalise because there are probably a lot there are obviously a lot of big, big religious community or a lot of people who believe in God in, in California I'm not saying that but I'm saying did that mentality affect the way you yeah. view Judaism I mean I, I, what you're saying is right there's a lot of amazing Jews in Los Angeles that I've been fortunate enough to know recently but in my circles back then there was a very godless society Beverly Hills is today I grew up in I think it's like something like 95% Jewish and wow. I'd say less than 1% are religious or even know anything about Torah in the simplest form so it's why it's why crazy. do you think that is because I think uh, Shem blessed us materially and material blessing when you don't have a Torah background leads to you don't you don't need Torah anymore you think which is completely false but that's the idea now I don't need this I can just I'm free and I'm comfortable and I'm safe and now like, let me be involved in the society around me let me climb the to the upper echelons of society which Jews have in a lot of ways which is good and obviously bad in some other ways uh, wow very beautifully said just to kind of get to the towards the end of the background part um, in terms of your family um, do you have any family that were religious or like where were your parents holding where like cousins grandparents like did you have any any sort of religious influence going up or um, it's a great question. No, I mean, I'm starting to learn more about my background now, my family history. I think my dad's family, great-great-grandpa, was part of a prestigious rabbinic family. But oh, by the wow. time I got to my father and my grandpa, who I didn't get to meet, he passed passed away 20 years before I was born. But there was zero Judaism on my dad's side. And uh, my mom's side, my grandma on my mom's side was part of, from Vienna, and was well off in Vienna. And she grew up, I think her family was helped involve start the reform movement, she originally told me. Wow. They helped start the reform movement, and they were early secular Zionists. I you know, don't want to get into political yeah, discussion, yeah, but obviously yeah, yeah. Not, from a, yeah. not from a very religious background, at yeah. least three, four generations back. And on both sides of my family, unfortunately, right now, um, I'm an only child, and my mom has two siblings, and my dad has two siblings, and I'm, I think I might be the only Jew remaining out of all the siblings on both sides. What do you mean only Jew remaining? They all married non-Jewish people. Either the yeah, either the siblings themselves married non-Jews, so their kids are already non-Jews, or uh, they themselves are married to non-Jews. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it. quite funny you said that one of your grandparents, your one of your great grandparents, was a prestigious rabbi, because uh, I see a lot of uh, strong traits in you. Not to be a rabbi, I don't know whatever that be, but you've got very like. You see that. From the day I met you, Frankie, there's always been, like, you had a deep desire. I'm going to go into it because I think, I, I, I want to know what your turning point was. But I, like, I think when we first met, like, seeing you and the way you, like, first felt about Judaism, the way it was just so authentic and, like, it just felt like you had a natural affinity, which was so unique to your character and testimony to your character that your Neshama just naturally perceived like something deeper which is really fascinating but I, w- I want to hear from you now so we've got a bit of your background you know you grew up you know listening to a ram's horn once a year that was your mentality a lot of wealth friends that were not into it you had no reason there was no clear pathway for you to live a observant life and here we are today you're a full-time yeshiva and you're loving torah you love judaism for i know for you you love torah you it's, a, it's going to be a big part of your life. You want it to be a big part of your, 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 the, the icker of your life, the main of your life, and for, for the foreseeable future. You know, you, you inspire others in Judaism. You're actually starting a podcast to inspire other Jews to be more 
you know, to be to get more into their Judaism or to feel connected to other Jews who are more into their Judaism. So the big question is where did we get where did where, what happened? Like how did like I'm curious, like what made you like get yeah, connected? I mean we're already getting deep into the podcast. I don't want to take everyone, you know, for the next week, but I think this cut it short. I think growing up in that background and seeing it early on was that it really allowed me to cut to the uh, the chase that all the stuff, the money, the wealth, the girls, the uh, the fun, you know, it all had an expiration date and it was very short. And I saw, I guess maybe I was blessed with Shem to have a somewhat perception, but I could see early on that there was there had to be something more. Um, my mom, who I didn't get to go into much background, but who also made the shuva, she's living in Eretz Israel. She's an amazing woman, you know, has helped wow. me in every aspect of my life. But, um, you know, I, she can attest to the fact that I used to say growing up all the time, I used to ask questions. I used to say, like, when I was 10 years old, like, who created this, this beautiful world? How is it that came for nothing? I was I taught, imagine you answer it I was taught by, you know, in, in public school, like, that it's Big Bang, it's easy, it's push it, it's no creator, it's, it's absolutely no God, no way that there, this world was created, and that's just the typical thing. And I asked my friends the same question, I would say, you know, growing up playing hockey, I'd ask people's parents, they said, is the whole point of this world to push a uh, rubber disc into a, a net on ice? Like, is that, wow. what is that what we're doing here? And they would say, what are you talking about? Maybe go see someone, get some help. You know, it sounds like you're depressed or something. I, I felt very happy. It was just that I knew the song was missing. You know, I, speaking more on the wealth that I saw, I grew up, uh, one of my friends was one, his dad was a, like a chief executive at Microsoft and a massive house and mansion. And, um, his dad came home one time, hadn't seen him in like a year, and the only thing that he could talk to his son about was Dodgers, and his son had no interest in Dodgers, his baseball team, and there's just nothing, there's just no, no, no connection, there's wow. nothing, I just felt early on that uh, money wasn't it on its own, like it just wasn't going to do it for me. So what was the, like what they said, what we, I think we described it, what was your Teshuva moment? Teshuva What was that, we like to use on this podcast, this, this idea of a Teshuva moment, what was that initial spark, you know? Judaism talks that everyone has in their soul this idea of a DNA from the forefathers, you know, in their soul. And like a gene can be triggered off at any point. So too, every person, every Jew's soul, their gene, their gene for Judaism could be triggered off at any point by certain things. So what was that gene triggering? What was that teshuva moment where like things, you started to act? Like where, where was the moment where you started to act on these thoughts? I think you were there for it, so that's yeah. one of the beautiful things. So, I mean, for for people who don't know, because I know everything, but I don't I don't know everything. I know everything about your story, but yeah, go on. Yeah, so I was twenty one. I was studying abroad in London. Um, I was I thought I was reaching you know the pinnacle of what was going to be my future and happiness, um, and I I felt a little bit not not depressed and sad, but things. I was making money. I had a, a girlfriend at the time. I was playing hockey, I was going to a good school, I went to NYU, I was doing well, and um, I just felt like it wasn't really making a difference on me, and so I, I thought I needed to do more and more. So during that time in London, I had traveled more, I went to better clubs, bigger bigger bars, nicer things, I was buying more things, and the more I was making, I was getting told, I thought that was the message I was getting from society, that the more I acquired, the deeper I did, the you know farther I pushed, and the happier I'd be, but I really found out to be opposite, that I was just drowning out my soul yeah. more and more. So in London, I uh, decided after a while, you know, to make the short story a little bit shorter, decided to go to my first Shabbat meal. And uh, I was sitting in Rabbi's home, and it was uh, a nice home. It was, you know, it wasn't a massive home like I was used to in LA. It was a 
nice little home, very comfortable. And uh, but the the way I saw him look at his wife and the way that I saw the kids interact with him, and just the feeling that home of warmth of happiness, um, I realized that didn't exist anywhere. I looked back to my life and saw wow. everything, but there was no there was no, wow. no happiness in there. There was no warmth, and my soul would stop of chasing of chasing of money, girls, everything else. I just uh, I felt like it stopped for a second. I could actually be. It's the first time I actually heard someone openly ask talk about God, and it was. Uh, five-year-old daughter asked the rabbi who I was sitting with, he said, uh, Tati, Daddy, uh, you know, did Hashem, something about Hashem this week, and I said, what's Hashem? He said, that's God. I said, I, I never heard, like, God openly discussed in, uh, in public and not, like, in a weird way. Wow. And so I was Thank like, you. it's okay to believe in God, and uh, that was a turning moment for me when I realized that everything that I thought about my whole life, that there was something deeper and there was a creator, uh, could probably be true. So I ran with it. So, so your Teshuvah moment was kind of the realization that all of this, the more materialistic things you were doing, it wasn't actually making you feel any different with the backdrop of that question of like, do we have a creator? That was always in the back of your mind, but like this was, it was now materializing in a materialistic way, meaning you had all these things traveling and all these things happening, but you still felt there was something missing. And then you went to a Shabbat mill and you felt, and something clicked, you know, you felt there's something in this that has meaning, it has purpose, there's a higher calling. And this is, and then I'm guessing that's, and what happened after that? Like, do, yeah. is that, did you start going to things? Did you start going on trips? For sure. Like, I mean, happened? to be fair, I was primed a little bit. You know, my whole life I was questioning and thinking these things. So it wasn't just like, I was waiting for a moment when there was going to be some truth revealed to me. I think I was searching my whole life for truth and I was building up these, like my own thoughts. I don't want to think that I'm, you know, special. And I just think that anyone that's really perspective, perceptive in this generation can easily see that a lot of this stuff is just like a veil and it's very easily you know, to push through, because there is a lot of sheker and falsity, there's a lot of stuff right now that if you get a sense of truth, it's very easy to tell, because everything is very fake nowadays, so I was waiting, and I was building up, you know, everything that I, I'd seen in my life had led me to the, be able to, to see a moment of clarity of truth, and I ran with it, and yeah, that led me to learn more, and then to connect with some rebellion. Was it not, community. sorry, sorry, I'm just thinking, like, was it not, was it not scary to have this, I mean, obviously it's very uplifting, but to realize now that everything in your life you'd have to change. I mean, not have to change, but this would cause some sort of action or some sort of change in pers- a breakthrough change in your perceptive reality. Wasn't that scary to think that the people around you you'd have that you might have to you might you might have had to change some of your behaviors. Yeah, thank God. I think that Shem gives us the. Uh the moments that we need at the right moment. And I think at that time, I didn't think too deeply about all that stuff. I was happy to see some moment of clarity and truth. And I took things in stride. I did what I needed to do at that day. That day, as you know, you know, I've, I think I've progressed relatively quickly but at the same time. Like it hasn't been all at once. Nothing's all at once. And I just, at that moment, I didn't change everything the next day. It was, let me see what I can do today and run with this and then grow and build and build. And accumulation allowed me to, to come to where I am now. And, you know, actually make fully the changes that I have. It wasn't all at once. How did you start getting integrated? Like, because I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of people, I mean, talking from experience, find it hard that when you start to become more religious or when you start to see truth or I believe is truth and you believe is truth, when you start to feel that and you start to act on it, like, how do, how does one, from your perspective, like maybe you give advice to people, like how, how did you start to integrate into the more religious community? Like once you, because obviously, I'm guessing you, you changed the people you started to be, hang around with and where you were for Shabbos and you know, all these things. Yeah, again, I don't want to be old 
you know, overly from, but I do think I should have put amazing people in my life at the right time, too. Yeah. You, exactly what I needed to at the right time. At that point, you were a little bit ahead of me, if not a lot ahead of me in the journey, but you were still able to relate to me. And I think one of the greatest things was, besides the, the rabbis who were amazing that I've been connected to, but is the friends and the Hever and the, seeing amazingly yids that are just amazingly cool people and deep people. And I have uh, friends at every stage I've tried to be, surround myself with Torah Jews that are thinking similar to me, either you know near me or above me on the, the journey in terms of knowledge and growth. And that's allowed me to, to send the letter, I think, slowly. Uh, you know, I had my first, one of my first full Shabbats on my own was in Hawaii. And I got to meet uh, wow. two amazing friends. I'm still friends to this day that I surf with and hang out in L.A. And then uh, shout out to the Taurus Chaim boys. I have some, you know, FFP friends that have been really taking me in circles. And Beautiful. the families in uh, Far Rockaway and Wilson family, other families that have just taken me in and uh, shown me how beautiful it is to build a Torah life and Torah home. And that's allowed me to uh, become the man I am now is because of the people that, that have just shown me the way and help me integrate. I think it's very important to have friends that are involved and are caring or good and show you what it's like to be a, a happy, fully integrated yid. I think one of the last questions, um, because we tried to keep our podcast short, just to like, yeah, just to keep it short and sweet. What is the big, most life-changing thing that's like, since, since you've, you've changed your, like, your path in life, what's been the most life-changing aspect of your life? would you say like biggest difference in your quality of life and why I don't know I can give a lot of uh, firm answers about you know the potential for an amazing family when you know in LA I think the divorce rate is 50 normally 50% in America but I think in LA it must be like 70-75% divorce yeah. rate so it could be the hope that I'll be able to establish a beautiful Jewish family and home or it could be the fact that you know I'm obviously connected to Hashem now and I feel amazing community and I have a purpose in a life but I think the main thing is just peace with myself Beautiful. shalom with my uh, my core I don't have anywhere to run I mean do I have I know what I'm doing and my heart is right at least for me it's, I feel completely authentic what I'm doing and I love my life I love waking up and uh, serving the creator and having something to look forward to every day so I think it's shalom and just hopefully Beautiful. building shalom with others and ourselves and um, a funny question we spoke. We, we we were speaking before we made the podcast that there's a lot of Baltashuva moments mm. when people become religious. Religious. Oh, and no, they I was like, hoping you were going to ask this. <laughs> and they, you know, we do. We don't really. We don't have the knowledge sometimes in Judaism. We do things, you know, based on assumptions, yeah. and sometimes it's funny. <clears throat> so, uh, do you have any Baltashuva moments that have happened? Too, right? too many to share. But do you have one that stands out to you? Most of them are probably not so PG. They might be R rated. So I'll try to keep the more. PG once <laughs> but uh, one of them was uh, um, Pesach I think three years ago now I was, or two years ago I was during Corona I had come back from college I was becoming more observant I still didn't really know what was going on I was living at my grandma's home and I thought that we needed to uh, remove all chametz from our house <laughs> there was no other option and my grandma I think has been supportive now but uh, she wasn't supportive of that uh, you know, yeah. obviously now you can. Se- I know you can sell your chametz. Yeah. I thought you actually needed to throw it away or burn it. At first, I thought you had to burn it, so I was convinced I was going to put like a bonfire in our backyard and just burn everything. But the next thing I was like, all right, I'm going to throw it away. And she's like, absolutely, you're not throwing away any of my stuff. You're not throwing it away because all her stuff, right? I came here. I was like, I'm living here, so there's no chametz. I, I says in the Torah, I have to throw it away. I had no idea what what was going on. So uh, my mom, my grandma had about five thousand dollars worth of whiskeys and uh, 
different, you know, <laughs> wheat items, hummets in the house. And I, uh, in the middle of the night, snuck into the cupboards and uh, threw them all away. No way, Frankie! <laughs> and my grandma woke up and freaked out. That is fantastic! And, uh, wow. Yeah. Guys, tip. Sell your hummets. <laughs> Don't throw away your grandma's whiskey, man. <laughs> Sorry, grandma. Sorry, grandma. Oh, that's fantastic. Biggest lesson of the podcast, guys. <laughs> Don't throw away your grandma's whiskey. <laughs> never Definitely wow wow so yeah just have you got any final final remarks about your journey or anything you want to share that we haven't spoke about for the for the listeners any advice for someone you yeah, know i think this is fun uh i think that why we started this hopefully we grow this more but it's just that it's fun to share a story and to think about where you come from where you're going and to realize that it's always ongoing it's not stopping i'm um, exciting for the uh future and I hope that every one of us can connect each other I think it's a time when Call Israel needs to come back together and a lot less division I think one of the beautiful things about being a Baal Teshuva is being able to see the depths and the breaths of uh of Yiddishkeit like I come from that background I still see the beauty of completely secular Jews in LA and how just they might be a little bit uneducated but they're very bright and amazing people and even to the, I lived in Galula some for some part of this year and I've seen on the other end of the spectrum everyone in between they all serve their part Kalaris Rail is amazing and diverse and beautiful. Mm-hmm. I think we need to figure out a way, especially in this time when we have Eretz Israel, we all are slowly, hopefully coming back, back home together to see the beauty in each other, accept each other. I know I have to work on this too, but just to love every yet and uh, we need to break down the walls between us and because uh, no one else is watching out for us. No one really has our backs that we see all the time. You know, it's only yet, so we need to start looking out for each other. And uh, we're just one. We've got to be one nation again. Wow, wow. What a second podcast of the Jewish Journeys podcast. Wow. Frankie, you are absolutely amazing. Uh, you're also the host, which is fantastic for everyone to hear your story and to hear our stories before we get going with other guests. But guys, the main message is don't sell your grandma's comments. That's it. No, I'm joking. There's so many, so many messages we can take away. And we, we please God, will be inspired. And Frankie, I bless you that you keep going in strength, from strength to strength from your Jewish journey, inspiring so many other people. And yeah, thank you so much. And thank you, everyone. And please keep posted for future, future podcasts. We're going to have some great guests, some great stories, and some great inspiration. Thank you so much. Thank you.